Blog Talk Radio. Sorry about that. We were actually on mute. I pressed the wrong button. So, yes, this is Fanatic Radio. If you're uh, still with us, Ben Florence, Graham Burns, and for uh, Mike, we're going to start off the Richie Incognito situation um, because I actually hit the mute button because I am brilliant. So, the really broke on Sunday, early Sunday afternoon, right before uh, the game started when it was announced that uh, Jonathan Morgan had left the team. Initially, it was said by the team he was, uh, he was on or physically unable to perform. Most people really weren't certain what was going on. And then it turns out it was broken by Chris Morton and Adam Schefter that he left because of uh, bullying and harassment, for lack of better terms, by a fellow lineman, Richie Incognito. Richie Incognito, initially, he tweeted at them, stop smearing my name. And But now it appeared there was a voicemail that he left that called the half N-word. He was going to kill his family. We have all these sort of details coming around. and But we've also, not only have we had attacks on the Incognito, but there's also been some people that are defending him as well. What's your take on this uh, situation? Well, it seems that uh, every 15 or 20 minutes there's something new popping up. We get uh, at the beginning, and then we start to get the players' reactions. And very few of us were halfway. Uh, natural role of the Giants heavily criticized Martin for not being able to stand up for himself for like term be a man in the locker room. And then you've got uh, some retired players who have stuck up for Martin and who have been calling for reforms in the locker room. Uh, I found what's interesting about the situation is that Joe Philbin, the Dolphins head coach, he could potentially lose his job over this. Mm-hmm. And he's been relatively mute over it. Yeah. And it's just unbelievable that both the GM and him could lose their jobs. And right now it looks like Martin and Incognito's NFL playing careers might be over. Well, do you really think that uh, Martin, because his lawyer released a statement that said there was even more abuse from uh, Incognito, and it was Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk that speculated that potentially um, – that this could be a way, like, Incognito's probably done with the Dolphins, even though you have some of the teammates defending him. But it also is a way for to get the team to release uh, Jonathan Martin so that he can get out of the situation and hopefully 
play somewhere else. But do you really do you uh, think that uh, Martin's playing career, his own playing career, could possibly be in jeopardy? I, I mean, uh, I don't want to compare this to the Royce White situation mm-hmm. with the Houston Rockets, but that's a guy that uh, he well he has issues um, with um, ADHD, struggle to fly, and they're all the uh, accusations back and forth about the team not being too uh, accommodating for him. And now there's some that speculate that maybe uh, Jonathan Martin may have some issues of his own. What's your take? Well, I think there might have been previous issues there. I don't necessarily think uh, this har- this harassment issue was the only thing. I just maybe he's not built for pro football and the I guess the trials that the locker room has for these guys because whether or not he likes it, he's going to get, especially as a younger player, he's going to have to endure some form of harassment. Usually it's lower level than this, but uh, he's going to have to endure something. And this is just going to follow him for the rest of his career. And whatever team he plays for, there's going to be those guys who uh, sided with Richie Incognito on this, and I don't think they're going to be able to let it go. Well, I mean, as, as we've uh, discussed, I mean, what uh, what Incognito doing was way out of line. Uh, you know, the racial slurs, the, basically saying he was going to kill his family. But, and what was interesting is that on uh, the Monday Morning Quarterback on uh, SI.com, there was uh, yesterday, there was an article from a former player, former offensive lineman for the Dolphins, where he basically said that, and what was interesting is that he said that, you know, they were actually friends uh, in, in Incognito's uh, voicemail. I'm not, and Mike, Mike Moore also made this point uh, when he was talking about uh, He said that, oh, uh, the voicemail was done out of joking. But this guy that wrote this column, he, he, was, he left the team. He was not on the team last year. Like, that's when he – and this voicemail on the infamous Las Vegas trip that were – Martin was uh, forced to pay for. That all happened after then. So it seems like he has a first-hand account of what's going on, but he really seemingly doesn't. And you have seen there are a lot of players saying, oh, you should step up and be a man. But is this, could this possibly be that, you know, it's a system to where Martin was the one, the one guy that came out and said, this guy, uh, I'm not going to stand for this from incognito, Terrell Pryor said that actually he was being the man for saying that. And you've also seen a lot of strong reactions both ways on this issue. Is this Could this potentially uh, suggest a bigger problem, not just in the Dolphins locker room, but in NFL locker rooms before, where you could have a guy that's doing things like this, and you look bad if you're the guy that calls him out on it? Well, yeah, I think uh, since this has been such a part of the teasing uh, and harassment has been such part of the, like, the NFL as an institution pretty much since its creation, I think that uh, it's been like taboo for guys to come out about it because you're supposed to be a family, you're supposed to be a brotherhood, and what happens in the family stays in the family. But I think uh, maybe Jonathan Martin... I don't know. It, it seems like it just got pushed too far here, and I think there's obviously, I think if not before the end of the season, during the off season, there's going to be some reforms where coaches are going to have to take a bigger role here. Because Richie Incognito was a leader for this team, and with the departure of Reggie Bush, Carlos Dansby, and then Jake Long these past two years, he's been the one who's had to step up into a leadership role. 
And when you look at it, she's not the kind of guy you want in a leadership role. All the problems he's had off the field, all the personal fouls he's had on the field, it's not, it's not the kind of emotional leader you want on your team. So I think I would seriously question as to why the Dolphins, I don't know, it seems like he wouldn't let a guy like that get into that kind of leadership position. But I, he was the veteran, and he stepped up, and he's a very vocal guy, so I think that's why it happened. I think uh, a very interesting point came from uh, Trevor Price on Monday on the Crab uh, uh, Goes Wild show on Fox Sports 1. Um, of course, that show that is known for being hosted by Regis Shaw, which is completely out of control and kind of funny. But And he made an interesting point when talking about this because he, of course, long-time great NFL player, Pro Bowl or Super Bowl champion. He made the point of really the coaches would not really be in the know or something like this, because the locker room is considered to be the player's area. And if the coaches came into the locker room, that he said that there would be issues like, you got to get out of here, because it's, it's how he described it as, like, an area for the players. And he also said that there would always be a good-natured ribbing, mm. but never, like, he said that guys would make fun of Ray Lewis. You know, we look at Ray Lewis as, like, you know, this great leader. He said that people would make fun of him all the time, and that he would take it, he would laugh with it, but nothing to this level of what we've seen from Richie Incognito. Do you think that with the Dolphins, could something like this possibly tear apart the season? They're playing Tampa Bay, who does not have a win. Uh, they're playing them this Sunday. Do you think that potentially that this whole uh, this whole controversy could really destroy their season. I mean, they won four, they started out strong, lost four in a row, and then they won last week against Cincinnati. Could this, will this, like, destroy the season? And it could also mean that um, uh, general manager Jeff Island, who's on the hot seat, could he possibly lose his job over this? I mean, they're professionals, and they're going to have to go out and do their job regardless. I Honestly, Tampa Bay is the perfect matchup for them coming off mm-hmm. this situation because you hope it's an easy one, but Tampa Bay has looked better in recent weeks um, with their monumental collapse against the Seahawks last <laughs> week. But I think that if they lose to the Buccaneers this Sunday, this issue is going to be put under the microscope even further. I'm sure the commentators on Sunday are going to be all over it. So, or no, it's Monday night. It's Monday night game this week. They're it just, is a Monday night game. They're just going to be right. all over it, and I'm sure that will be the focal point of the game, <laughs> which will be annoying to listen to, but it's definitely true. And I think that if their season does fall apart, there's a strong chance. Joe Philbin has brought this team back from complete irrelevancy. So I think yeah. he might stay, but the GM might be on this. Yeah, the team, they put a lot of money on the, in the players. They had high expectations for um, – the season, and it started out well. It's been inconsistent late, and now you've got this situation. Here. So definitely something to uh, keep an eye on and something that we will uh, make sure to look out for as well. We're going to move now to the college uh, football ranks, and not usually uh, we've had Thursday night football and college football for years, but it's not usual that you have such big games as what we saw Last night, he had two huge matchups. He had Baylor, Oklahoma on Fox Sports 1. And then you had, um, where did my computer go? Uh, then you had uh, Stanford, Oregon. And um, that was the, uh, the other game last night. 
Baylor ended up getting a pretty impressive win. We'll get to them in a moment. They look pretty good and show that they may be truly for real, yet solid Oklahoma team. But with this Stanford-Oregon game, with Stanford pulling off the big, uh, well, I don't know if it's a big upset, but definitely an upset of uh, the undefeated uh, Oregon Ducks at home in Palo Alto, in a game that Stanford really seemed to dominate uh, for much of the game. What's your, what's your thoughts? Um, well, I think it's interesting. This is the second year in a row that Stanford has pretty much stolen Oregon's title hopes uh, right out from under them. They beat them November 17th of last year, so it's right around the same time when Oregon poised to go in and take it and go to the BCS National Championship, and they just take it away from them. And I think the American public as a whole is like, Stanford, like, come on, we want to see Oregon's high-flying offense against <laughs> Alabama's defense. Yep. I think everybody at this point is kind of tired of seeing Alabama just grind out these national championship games. We want to see somebody excited. And, I mean, there's still Florida State who has maybe the easiest schedule they have ever seen. They have Wake Forest, Syracuse, Idaho, and then a potential trap game against Florida. But uh, other than that, it's pretty much smooth sailing to them. And I really – and their offense is similar to Oregon's. It's not quite as fast-paced, but I think Jamie's Winston is just as exciting to watch as Marcus Mariota. So I, I think Florida State's going to end up in the national championship with Alabama. But it was, it was definitely disappointing for Oregon. Who's going to lose Marcus Mariota to the NFL probably this year? Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to start from scratch again next year in terms of their quarterbacking. Yeah, especially because now moving forward, it will become less of Chip Kelly's team, more of uh, new coach Mark uh, Helfrich, who uh, took over this year. But you really saw Oregon, you know, we see them put up so many points. They were really struggling to move the ball. They had no points into the third quarter, which is virtually unheard of for them. And Stanford really showed that you can grind out a win, a physical running game, that that's a system that a high-paced team like Oregon really struggles to go up against. And thus, um, and now you look at this Pac-12 race, which now it's opened it up a little bit. Stanford does have the one loss because they somehow they lost to Utah. I mean, nobody really knows how that I mean, Utah's not a bad team. So, but, you know, Stanford's obviously beating Oregon, albeit at home, but still a very impressive performance. But how good is the Stanford team? If there are some shenanigans, let's say Florida State loses, Baylor loses, could this team possibly sneak up into the uh, the title game? I mean, it's it's quite possible the way everything has been going down. If Florida State somehow loses in a miracle, I mean, Alabama could still lose to LSU uh, this weekend. I don't think that would be enough to elevate. That definitely wouldn't be enough to elevate Stanford. But they have to see Baylor lose. But Baylor has a tough end of their schedule. They still have. They still have to play Texas, so they still have a tough finish for them. I mean, if things in Ohio State's still there, but if the chips fall right. away, Stanford could end up in the Pac-12 title game. It's very possible. Right now they have the tiebreaker over Oregon, so it's very possible they could end up in the Pac-12 title game, and who knows after that. And that Pac-12 title game, I believe as of right now, is predict if uh, this week or next week or whatever it would be, the Pac-12 title game would be, Stanford and Arizona State. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming. It's been UCLA who they've been thinking would be in it all along, but Arizona State's really had a sneaky good season. Yeah. They lost to a FCS team in their first game. Yeah. And now they've made 
they've made a mark. So. Yeah, and you look, also you look at the Pat itself, a team that's right back in it. And they were, we all thought uh, with the whole Lane Kiffin thing that they'd be done. USC is now in this mix because yeah. they're only a game back. And with uh, Ed Orgeron, who our good friend Tim Brando likened to being like an Alvin Gentry, Alvin Gentry, terrible head coach, but a great interim coach. Mm-hmm. And it seems that uh, Ed, Coach O has done a tremendous stuff. Uh, you know, you brought up Baylor. Uh, really, I think a solid win. We all knew that they were not going to put up 70 points every single week. That's just not possible. No matter how incredible their offense uh, was, uh, Petty, um, yeah, Lacey Strong, yeah. former Oregon player, trainer. And, and again, and a lot of people thought, you know, a huge game last night, possibly one of the biggest games in their history, if not the biggest, at home in Waco. And we looked at it, Oregon or Oklahoma, been consistent offensively, but has a very good defense, will be able to be able to move the ball. And even though it took a little while to get going, I think the answer there was is still an emphatic yes. Yeah, I definitely agree. Steve Strong, Steve, and then uh, the backup running back, they both got hurt early on. Their third-string running back ended up running for over 120 yards. <laughs> I think if they're almost in Oregon, like, offensively, yeah. all the weapons they have. And Bryce Penny definitely, I think, has been the surprise of this college football season. I don't think anybody saw Baylor, like, they dropped 70 on, like, very mediocre teams, very bad teams. And they were like, oh, they're going to be the team that does that. And then when they actually have to play deep, halfway decent defense, they're just going to fall apart. And that was honestly, they put up 500, or they put up five, almost 500 yards of total offense on Oklahoma last night. Yeah. While still holding Oklahoma to 270 yards of total offense, which is no easy task. And I think that, their defense is highly underrated, and I think they they put themselves in perfect uh, position for a BCS bowl game. Could they could they potentially slide into the mix? Get really into the mix now because they've got some tough games down the stretch. They I believe they still have Texas Tech. I mean, they lost two in a row, but Texas Tech's a solid club. Um, I think they. I, I want to take a look at their schedule. Our good friend Baylor Bears with a uh, Art Riles leading the way, and he's. He's a guy that he was uh, – he's a Texas guy. He's very successful high school coach, go, starts to – and then eventually becomes a coach at Houston, helped make Houston a top program before Kevin Sullivan took them to an even bigger level. But you look at the Baylor schedule, they've got three, I'd say, tough games. They're hosting Texas Tech next week, and they're going at, at Oklahoma State – and, that's, and Oklahoma State, they've had, uh, like, they've gone back and forth between the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. But they, they, they're still a good team. They play at TCU. TCU's been very disappointing. And then they're hosting Texas, and Texas has now looked very good as well after everyone thought that Mac Brown was all but, uh, you know, all but done. Yeah. So could this Baylor team possibly get into the uh, BCS championship game? Could the cards slide their way? I mean, anything could happen at this point. They would obviously need Alabama and uh, Florida, or Florida State to lose. I think they're more likely to get in if Florida State loses because the BCS absolutely loves Alabama. And I think the only way Alabama's going to lose is if it's to LSU. And since LSU's, they, they've had their struggles this year, but they're still a, a very good team. And I think that if they lose to LSU, uh, if uh, – 
they're going to be the first one-loss team in the BCS National Championship. You might want to put this in the mail before you go to jail. Good friend, Bobby Proud, uh, agreeing with you on that point. And, you know, we're talking college football. Alabama, of course, number one team in the country. The BCS is a big fan of them. And they, uh, they look, I think a lot of people would argue that they have looked like the best team in the country. They had a, a tight game against uh, Texas A&M. That was, that was really a wild one. And besides that, they've, looked, they've shown that they have some weaknesses. But they look like a team that, had a, that they look like the best team in the country. Although I think this LSU game is going to be interesting for them. What's your take on this uh, LSU game on the Saturday night? Well, I think that it's the first time in like two or three years that this hasn't directly – that both teams haven't been in contention for the national championship. And I think that it might make this game even more uh, meaningful because I think that LSU, they've had their struggles this year – but Zach Mettenberger still has extremely good wideouts in Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. And I think that with their, although the LSU defense hasn't lived up to its standards in the past, mm-hmm. if they can get a few turnovers. I know Alabama, they play maybe the most boring style of offense. But it yeah. works. In the, yeah, in college football, but it works. And they, they don't have turnovers. But mm-hmm. I think if LSU can get maybe a turnover early, you can run into some points. You can put Alabama in a position where they have to beat you instead of you having to beat them, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch, especially since uh, I mean it's a home game for Alabama, so obviously that's helpful. But I think LSU, I think they're a sleeper here, and I think they I think they have a real shot. Uh, yeah, and I actually, for one, have uh, am I think LSU is going to go into Tuscaloosa and pull off the uh, an upset win because here's my theory. Hey, this is I feel like this is a game that LSU and Les Miles win. They're so they could be so hit or miss with Les Miles, like cause basically on based on his personality and all that. I really think this is a game that they're going to have a lot to prove, and I also think that they they can have a lot of success throwing the football because the one thing that Alabama has struggled with is in their pass defense. And um, Zach Menberger made a lot of strides, been very good with the deep ball. So I really think that that could be. Uh, I really think you're going to have LSU lose and Al- or Al- LSU win, and Alabama will have their first loss. We're going to take a quick music break. Uh, you got uh, Grand Bird, Ben Florence. This is Fanatic Radio, and uh, we will be right back. Fanatic Radio. Even with the way they're playing, we could go undefeated. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Lock Talk Radio. We want to talk about hack. I don't know. Well, Cal's basketball, 
Fanatic Radio. What's wrong with that? He fought for his country. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Love Talk Radio. And welcome back to Fanatic Radio. Ben Florence, Graham Burns with you. We're uh, the person bottom the air. Uh, we'll uh, got to do a little college basketball preview. Kicks off tonight. Got games across the nation. We even have our own AU Eagles uh, playing over in Fairfax and the uh, the George Mason Patriots. Hopefully, uh, Mike and myself, we were trying to get away to get to go to the game because that'd be cool and see us uh, probably lose. But hey, you never know. So, uh, college basketball, as I said, starts tonight. Um, always seems like that, may, well, maybe it's just me, that I always try to find it hard to have a team that's such a prohibitive that really is a prayer of the favorite. Because it always seems like there are a bunch of teams that can win the title. And, of course, we had Louisville last year uh, win it all. They do return some key guys. They lost a couple key guys in the NBA. Do you think that this is a Louisville team that could possibly go back-to-back, be the first team to go back-to-back since uh, um, since uh, Floyd Gators? Uh, I mean, they certainly returned all their players. I mean, they still, other than uh, Gordy Jang, yeah, they returned right. Russ Smith. Russ, Russ Tastic, man. Uh, <laughs> he, is, he is unbelievable. Uh, I'm a Syracuse basketball fan, so there you go. I absolutely despise him at points, but it is unbelievable to see how he can either make or break the game for Rick Pitino. And he's, I think this year more than ever they might live and die by him. But they still have Luke Hancock, who had an incredible Final Four last year. He did. And Kevin Ware will make his return to the court. Uh, I mean, they obviously – I mean, they won't have uh, Peyton Siva either to control the court. Yeah. But uh, – I mean, with their fast-paced offense and their press defense, it is like anything goes with them. But then, on the other hand, you have Kentucky, who is the single greatest recruiting class in the history of college basketball. So it'll be interesting to see uh, when it comes down to the tournament, who anything happens in the NCAA tournament. So I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how these teams perform come tournament time because Louisville's always been known. They really step it up once it matters most. Because Georgetown won the Big East uh, regular season last year. That's right. And then Louisville just went on a tear. Mm-hmm. And they didn't lose a game for over two months. So it was incredible to watch. And then Georgetown ended up uh, losing to uh, Florida Gulf Coast University yeah. in their first round game. And that wild pitch where they're throwing up values. And that was, I mean, of course, Mike hated that because Mike hates the small schools. Of course, I don't know why he goes to AU then. But then you talk about Kentucky, you talk about the recruiting class. It seems like every year, in, year in and year out, they have pulled together an incredible recruiting class, and they've done it yet again. John Calipari, that guy is just that guy just works wonders up the recruiting trail. Two years ago, they won the title when you had Anthony Davis and you had Bledsoe, not Eric Bledsoe, what am I talking about? But you had um, uh, Patrick Peterson, you had a, a a very strong uh, Kentucky team. Then last year, they had a team that was hit and miss, and then when they lost Nerland Noel, they just fell apart. They really fell apart, and then they ended up losing the first round of the NIT, which, and that was great because we were actually in the sports zone that, uh, that night up, and we went to the tavern, back when it was the tavern, and we were, they had that game on, and I'm like, because that was on the same time as the, uh, the first four, 
of the uh, NCAA tournament. And I really think that people watching that, because let's be honest, AU is not a sports haven. Mm-hmm. I really think people watching that thinking it was the NCAA tournament. Just yeah. like with the, the one seed going down. Uh, like Kentucky did. It was uh, it was pretty wild. It was pretty because Kentucky was playing on the road. That was the best part. Yeah. They were the one house team that were playing on the road because they were hosting the tournament. But do you think that this Kentucky team, do you think it would be closer to the team of two years ago when they won it all or the team of last year where they were uh, a little shaky? Oh, I definitely think that it's going to be much closer to uh, the Anthony Davis team we saw two years ago. With the incredible amount of freshman talent they have. And Cal Perry lives and dies by this system. He died by it last year because he was only able to get Nerland Noel to be that one. He only got that one guy who really stood out. And then when he went down, they were just toast. I mean, they were, they were a crapshoot to make the tournament before he went down. And after that, it was just over for them. So I think that this will be a year where they really stand out. They'll probably win the SEC. They don't have a whole lot of competition. Uh, there is Florida who returns a lot of guys, um, uh, but they do have a lot of suspensions going on. So uh, that will be interesting to see. And then, obviously, in the SEC, you still have Marshall Henderson, who might be the most annoying player in college <laughs> But he's always fun to watch, and he's a loose cannon that you, you love to hate, I guess. So it will be interesting to see how the SEC plays out. But I think Kentucky comes out of there. Um, they just have some monsters. It's incredible, incredible to believe that their freshman class is the same age as I am because I'm looking at a picture of their number one recruit, Julius Randle, right now, and he could, he could sit on me if he wanted to. So it's incredible, <laughs> to, see, it's incredible to see like the kind of physical specimens uh, Cal Perry has brought in for his team. You know, and uh, another thing I look at when I look at on the uh, the Big Ten conference. Always a pretty deep conference with a bunch of good teams. They're always play physical. But what's interesting is that they have not won a title since 2000. Mm-hmm. You've got Michigan, who came very close last year in the championship game. You had Trey Burke, the player of the year, was awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he went to the NBA. Uh, so did Tim Hardaway Jr. And but they bring back Mr. Gary, who really took off. Yeah. And you got Ohio State which is a strong team, and uh, Grantland, her good friend, uh, Mark Titus, is uh, predicting Michigan State to win it all. What do you think out of this uh, Big Ten? You also got a team like Indiana. It's really developed into a pretty deep conference. Oh, yeah. This was the deepest conference in college basketball last year by far. They were were definitely the best. Uh, They were the cream of the crop. But – Indiana is definitely, I think, going to have a down year. They lost Victor Oladipo and Tyler Zeller. And Tom Creed, to begin with, isn't that good of a basketball coach. He sat Oladipo and Zeller at critical points for that Syracuse Sweet 16 game. Man, that was bad. It puzzled everyone. And they just never seemed to get in the groove uh, against the 2-3 zone. And I think he, he took a lot of flack for that. If they don't, if they don't have – Indiana has a lot of tradition there. So if they don't at least – if they're not Sweet 16 bound this year, then I think he's out. Um, on the other hand, at the top of the conference, you have a lot of interesting competition. Uh, Michigan State returns Gary Harris, who could have been a potential first-round draft pick if he had chose to go last year. They get back Adrian Payne. They have uh, Keith Applingstill, who is a complete enigma. He, on one night, he can have a triple-double, and other nights, 
he can have double digits in turnovers. So uh, I think it's interesting. I think they might be one of the most up-and-down teams uh, in the country. And then Michigan, they return their core, McGarry, uh, Glenn Robinson. Uh, they did lose Trey Burke and Tim Hardway, but they have Spike Albrecht, who uh, yes. might be the most overhyped 2.2 points per game player ever in college basketball. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how John Beeline uses him. And then, of course, Ohio State, you have Aaron Kraft, you know, the best defender in the country by far. Uh, they only lost to Sean Thomas, so it'll be see how they, yeah. interesting to see how they make up for his offensive production, but they certainly won't lack uh, they're not going to lack on the defense of them. So. And one team I always enjoy watching in the Big Ten is, uh, is Wisconsin because they always seem to have a bunch of grinder guys, guys that look look like they have no business being on the basketball court. And they win a lot of games because Bo Ryan is a hell of a coach, and he also does an incredible handball as well. So I'm interested to see what's going to come out of this new uh, Big East, yeah. which is now the basketball-only conference. Uh, that has uh, what was known as the Catholic Seven. You got Georgetown, your Villanova, your St. John's, those guys, and all their games will be on uh, Fox Sports One with uh, Gus Johnson and uh, Phil Rafford on the call. Yeah. And that'll just be fantastic. And uh, we're, you know, we're all both looking up Grantland right now mm-hmm. because hey, Grantland's great. And uh, they like uh, we got Creighton in the mix. You have Greg McDermott who has been. Uh, Tremendous player. Oh, yeah. And he returns. It seems like he's been there forever. you got Georgetown in the mix. They did disappoint. They lose out of port. But they like Marquette to win it all. Marquette, another team last year, their best player was Vander Blue, who was not not even an all-America all, uh, honorable mention. He went undrafted. But just a, a solid Marquette team. Do you think that they could be the team to beat in the conference? Uh, I think they will be. Uh Interesting story with McDermott. He is technically a walk-on this year. Oh, right. In order to keep one of his good friends on the team, they they needed another scholarship. So he, uh, in an almost Rudy-like sequence, as Mark Titus puts it, walks in, this is in his imaginary world, walks into his dad's office, who's the coach of Creighton, leaves his jersey down on the desk and says, I, I want him to play. And, uh, <laughs> And so he, he'll, he'll be paying full tuition this year, and it's uh, surprising to see. Well, actually, he might have a dead, not not that coach, but yeah. <laughs> interesting to see how, uh, how that he hasn't chosen to go to the NBA yet because he's been a potential Player of the Year candidate for two or three years now, and it'd be incredible to see a walk, technically a walk-on win Player of the Year. But I definitely think Marquette they lost uh, Vander Blue and Junior Cadogan. But Devontae Gardner, he was a guy who came on strong last year. He had two very strong showings against Syracuse's 2-3 zone. Uh, they saw Jameer Wilson, Chris Atule. And in case you were wondering, O.J. Mayo's brother plays for Marquette, Todd Mayo. And uh, since the Big East is a much weaker conference this year, you have Syracuse leaving, you had Louisville, uh, peace out, you had UConn leave. So I think that other than... Creighton and Georgetown, there's not much to the conference. And I don't think Creighton, they haven't played a Big East brand of ball. Yeah. So I don't know how well they're going to hang in there. But uh, I definitely could see Marquette as potential as a uh, definite winner of this conference. And we'll wrap up uh, talking shortly about the, uh, the Pac-12. And uh, 
some, some of the big-name schools in that conference. Uh, again, new coach UCLA with Steve Alford from New Mexico would do great work there. And then USC, we talked about before, the Gulf Coast hiring FGCU, and that's a really about FGCU. they got to change that. Uh, head coach Andy Enfield with a beautiful wife and exciting style of play. That will be interesting to see. And I think a lot of people are uh, expecting Sean Miller in Arizona, that team has been very good, that this may be the year, even though they lost guys from last year, that this, this may be the team – that takes a step forward and win it and runs ragged through the uh, Pac-12 conference. Well, this this kid Aaron Gordon they got apparently is the most freakishly athletic kid to ever touch a basketball. He's right up there with uh, Julius Randle from Kentucky and then Andrew Wiggins for Kansas. Uh, I think they're going to be some, probably the three top freshmen. Uh, and nobody else really. UCLA has kind of fallen off the map these past few years. Washington had a few good years, but uh, they've fallen off now. But I really think it's Arizona's conference to lose here. Uh, Colorado, uh, surprisingly, has been on the upswing. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I just don't think they have the big-name players or the experience to really make a deep tournament run. So I definitely see Arizona coming out of this conference on top, and they could have a shot at a Sweet 16 or Elite 8, definitely. All right. So uh, if I had to put you on the spot, and having to make you pick, who do you think will be the player of the year win the Naismith Award? Who would who would be your guy? I'm going to have to take uh, – I know, it's tough. It, that is a tough one because uh, you always have McDermott. Uh, he's been really consistent these past readers. But I think it's probably going to be one of the freshmen out of Kentucky who really makes his part. If you have Julius Randall on Australia, or Andrew Williams from Kansas. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, we haven't been talking about Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, we've got Andrew Wiggins, who's the next big uh, uh, one-and-done guy. What do you really expect out of him this year for Kansas? They should be a solid team as well. Bill Self always has that team on an eye. I mean, the spotlight's on him. Like Kentucky, when they have five freshmen coming in, he's the only... He's the big name one at Kansas, and he's going to be the guy for them. So it'll be interesting to see how they utilize him in Kansas situation. Absolutely. And uh, so many of these one and done guys, especially we've seen that in Kentucky, they come and they make an immediate impact. It's like, oh, we enjoyed it so much. They're gone in the end. So, um, well, yeah, uh, great show. I I'm not going to be going on, but uh, thank you folks for listening. Uh, we'll make sure we'll be back next week. I think Mike will be next. Hope, or maybe he'll have another reason why. Who knows? So, uh, for uh, the two of us, uh, Grandpa, Beth Wat